Father, holy means separate from. We proclaim that. You are separate from sin. You alone, Jesus, are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're far above all rule and authority and power in this world. We are called to submit ourselves to You as our Savior and Lord. And we ask You to speak to us through Your Spirit this morning. As we open Your Word, we ask You to have Your way. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, many of you know, if you're new, you don't know, but now you will, that we're in the middle of a series called Stand Firm. It's based on the book of 1 Peter, a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to churches in Asia Minor on the brink of or in the middle of persecution. And he wanted them like a lighthouse in the middle of a stormy sea, waves crashing against it to stand firm in this world, though it comes against them. And today, Peter talks about marriage. Why marriage in a book about standing firm? Well, standing firm starts in our homes. And I want to encourage you, whether you're married or not, I believe God has something to say to us about marriage. Because whether you're pre-married, in a marriage, or after marriage, God calls on the church to champion biblical marriage. It is key in this world, and standing firm has to start at home. But I wondered about something as I started this this message. It's Peter writing, right? And I, I just had this question, like, what was it like to be married to big Simon Peter, the, the fisherman? You ever wonder that? We know he was married because in Matthew 8, Jesus came to their house and healed his mother-in-law. Right? But I thought about that. Like, did his mother-in-law like him? (laughs) Like, did he ever have a conflict after Jesus healed her where he grumbled under his breath, I wish you hadn't done that, Jesus? What what was going on in their relationship? What what about with his his wife? Like, hey, Peter, you, you, you left your nets all over the backyard again and we got company coming over. He says, I'm sorry, I was going to do it, but I just kind of petered out. <laughs> I know that's a little bit fishy, so I'll try to scale back on <laughs> I would try to scale back on those. <laughs> what was it like with Peter and, and Mrs. Peter? Uh, We know that later on she traveled with him as he went to spread the good news. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 9.5. Paul said, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, which we know is another name meaning rock, meaning Peter? He took a wife along. That got me wondering, was she part of that original 120 in Jerusalem that were up in that upper room praying along? Before the Spirit came and Peter went out there and preached, what was it like in their marriage? What kind of husband was Peter? But beyond that, what what encourages me is he writes this letter. It's not just his ideas, it's God's ideas. We believe God's Word is inspired and he is going to pass on some God-inspired advice for marriage. God knows men and women, we need help to get on the same page. Many times, right? Often, 
How many of you would admit we come from different places? <laughs> right? It's like the, the guy in this story. Uh, uh, a wife tells her husband, he says, hey, she says, hey, I had a dream last night. I, I dreamed that I got a, a diamond necklace. What do you think that means? And he said, maybe you'll find out tonight. And he came home with a package all wrapped up and she tore it open excitedly and it was a book called The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> Husband and wife, I think we're on two different pages. That happens sometimes. You know that if you're married. But one thing that's key if we're going to get on the same page, especially in God's program of marriage, is that we have a selfless love for our partner. A love that puts them above our own needs, wants, and desires. Edmund Clowney said it this way, the Christian who follows Jesus does not grasp for privilege. He or she is already privileged beyond imagination. The Christian seeks rather opportunities to imitate Christ in willing subjection to service. We know we're privileged in Christ. We're sons and daughters of the King. So because of that, we can rest on that front and say, how can I serve the people in my life? Starting with my spouse if I'm married. So what Peter does, and I'm going to break it down, he gives three bullets for wives and three for husbands. So as we go through the wives, husbands don't get too comfortable. We're coming around to us. But I just just want to say, like these things work best when both partners are working at these, okay? It becomes really challenging when one is and the other is not. It doesn't necessarily let us off the hook, but things work a whole lot smoother when, when we're working together. So I'm going to start with the wise, but men, if you amen too loud, they're going to be amening in about 10 minutes. So <laughs> here we go. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject... To your own husbands. That word subject means to submit, to line up under the authority of another. Now I like the way one man clarified this is this is not to line up under the authority of another as a slave. It's more the picture of a president and a vice president. The vice president accepts her role in in the marriage and and lines up because God is a God of order. And it's not just in marriage. We've seen this in this book already when he talked about government. Unless the government tells us to disobey God, we as Christians are to submit to the government. Employment. When when we have an employer, unless he tells us to violate God's commands, we are as good Christian employees to submit to them. Doesn't mean we never speak up. Doesn't mean we never have a different idea. But you get the idea. Order is part of God's plan, and that's just as true in marriage. So what does this subjection or submission for the wife look like in marriage? i got three A's. We'll call it the, the triple A program from Peter for wives in marriage. Okay, The first one is be a woman of action. Action. Okay, look at this. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 
Now, there's a couple phrases we've got to pull apart in here. When he says, even if some do not obey the word, he's saying, some of you wives, I know you're married to husbands that do not believe in Jesus, but you do. And that is a hard spot to be in. In a marriage, what was going on? The gospel was sweeping the kingdom, and sometimes you got a marriage where neither knows Jesus, and then the gospel comes, and one of them gets saved. And here he's talking to the woman in that situation. He says, if that's you, if, if your husband does not obey the word, and the Greek is real strong there, he's kind of rebellious against the truth about Jesus. He doesn't want it. He's got his own path. So that they don't obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This does not mean the wife could never speak of Jesus or other things in a marriage. That would not be healthy, but it means that often it reaches a point where actions speak louder than words, right? When I was a preaching student at Moody Bible Institute, my professor told me I moved around like Elvis when I was up front. He said, you kind of swivel your hips. So I thought, hey, this morning, one of his songs came to mind. What, what does he say? He says, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. Right? <laughs> and that's what Peter is saying to the wise. If you really want to get to the heart of your husband, you don't have to be silent. Don't read him saying that, but let your actions your love for Christ and your obedience to Him and and your faithfulness to Him, speak to Him. It's so much easier to say words, and that's not just true for women, that's true for all of us. Words come easy. Actions take work, right? We we gravitate towards words. I was reminded of this in a story where a, a man escaped prison after 12 years. He got home, and he was dirty and tired, and he walked in the door, and his wife looked at him and said, where have you been? You escaped eight hours ago. <laughs> she, she couldn't hold back the words. And that's not just a woman thing. We've all been there. Sometimes we need a little less conversation, a little more action, please. And this can be powerful in the life of the unbelieving husband. Listen, Harold Fickett shared a story. And this is so powerful to me. He said, as a boy, I remember a man in a prayer meeting saying I was an alcoholic. When I'd come home, my wife would badger me and make life so miserable I could hardly wait to get drunk again. But one night she met me with loving arms, sat me in a chair, gave me coffee, and put me to bed without saying a word. She did this every night for two weeks until I couldn't stand it. Why don't you nag me instead of loving me? I asked her. She answered, I can't because God loves you. That man went on to give his life to Jesus Christ as his Savior, to be set free from alcohol because of her actions. Same thing happened to Lee Strobel. You know the case for Christ, the case for faith? He was an atheistic journalist, and then his wife got saved. And he starts watching how her life is changing. He starts asking questions like, maybe there is something to Jesus. And it started him on his search that turned him into a strong Christian now, spreading the word to others. Even Augustine's own mother did this with his father. I won't share the whole story, but check it out on Google or or elsewhere. St. Augustine's mother loved her unbelieving husband to the point that he came to know the Lord. Actions are powerful in the marriage relationship. And here he applies that specifically to women. Let your actions speak loudly. The second one is adornment. 
what you wear. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, I don't know if this strikes anybody else weird, like the idea of Peter giving beauty advice, like, See him out on the boat, and it's just weird. But God, God chose to use him, right? And we got to be careful here. Like, I do not believe they saying the braiding of hair or gold jewelry or makeup are wrong because he includes the clothing you wear. If all this was wrong, uh, you wouldn't be allowed out in public, right? He includes clothing here. It's not wrong to wear these things. But what's he talking about? He's talking about what is more important in your heart. When it comes to your adornment, is it the external? Is that what you're focused in and obsessed with? Or, or is it the, the internal? What, what is going to last? Because external beauty in this world is a fleeting thing. And it's not just women, it's men too. Think about whether it's weight, wrinkles, or, or wispy hair. One of my things, like I hate windy days now because... Retractable awnings on patios are cool. I don't like having one up here, but mine seems to keep retracting. And when it gets windy, I reach for my hat now because everybody sees my whole porch. You know? <laughs> we all know we're, we're all heading that way. Once you enter this planet, you're heading uh, towards those wrinkles or whatever they may be for you. It's just women may be... Notice it a little more than, than men do. Men, we can be kind of oblivious. I, I read a couple stories this week about a, a guy on a scale. He's, he's sucking his stomach in, and, and his wife said, that doesn't help at all. And he said, yeah, it does. It helps me see the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> there was another guy. After 30 years of marriage, he looked at his wife and and he said, are you still going to love me when I'm old, fat, and balding? And she said, I do. <laughs> we're, we're all on that trajectory. It's just that women are typically a little more sensitive and aware of it. But the bottom line is, it's all going away for all of us this side of heaven, okay? We're all getting older. So Peter is saying, hey, it's not wrong to have those things, but focus on this. Focus on the let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. You want imperishable beauty. Let God take you to His beauty school through the fruit of the Spirit. Let Him go to work in there. That's beauty that lasts forever. And when he says imperishable, it goes along with the other stuff Peter talks about in this book. He says we have an imperishable inheritance, so he might as well pursue imperishable beauty as well. The hidden person of the heart. I saw this on display when we were in Ohio. My grandpa, Papa I call him, is 96. My, my mama is 89. And she was having a hip replacement while we were there. And we all circled up, Carolyn and I, my mom and dad, and I could feel my mama's hand just shaking. She's 89 now. She's not as strong as she used to be. It was shaking like this the whole time we prayed. But I'm telling you, as I heard her pray and I, I heard my papa talk about how Jesus is the only great physician, you know what I saw? I saw this inner beauty. 
It far outshined any changes this world brought to their lives. They were holding on to Jesus, and, and it was beautiful. That's what Peter's saying, pursue that. That's, that's what lasts. You want to still have some beauty when the wrinkles come, pursue that inner beauty. A.W. Tozer, man who tells it like it is, said, Peter said that there is a glowing but hidden being of the heart, more radiant than any jewels one can buy. So if you want to take models to follow, please, please do not take the artificial globe-trotting females who are intent only upon themselves. Go after the inner beauty that's imperishable. Proverbs. Read through that book this week because I'm like, man, if there's ever a time we need wisdom, I need some wisdom right now. This world's going crazy. I read through Proverbs and there's stuff in there about this too. Proverbs 11.22, like a, a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Whoa, what's he saying? Like you don't take something as precious as a gold ring and put it in a pig's snout. It doesn't go there. And he's saying it the same way. Is a beautiful woman without discretion. That outer beauty does not go with that inward lack of wisdom and growth. Make sure that you're working on that inner part. That imperishable beauty. Proverbs 31.30 Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's that imperishable beauty that Peter's talking about. So that's adornment. The, the third one for women and then we're coming, coming to us guys. Hold on. Alignment with God. Alignment with God. Verse 5, Peter says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. I thought, wouldn't that be a great name for a women's small group or Bible study? Holy women who hoped in God. What, what a great descriptor. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. They were aligned with Him because they hoped in Him. Verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling Him Lord. Now I've got to issue a personal thank you to all ladies in the room that you didn't walk up, stand up and walk out when Paul read that earlier. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> telling them we're going to be talking about that when I came up, Paul. <laughs> I did a lot of study on that because that's one of those verses you read it and say, huh? And some of the guys, be careful here. The guys are like, I like that one. <laughs> right? I want to I talk to you about that word Lord, though. It has a lot of different possible translations. One is the one we know for Jesus Christ, the far above all rule and authority and power. Guys, don't get that in your head. Okay? It's not what it means here. It can also be translated in the Greek as a simple sir. A matter of respect. What, what he's talking about is these women gave their, their husbands the respect God called them to. Nothing more, nothing less. So let's not go off the deep end with that. You are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What, what is he talking about there? He's talking to these saved women married to unsaved men. And that could be a frightening place in the, the Roman Empire because generally... The woman was expected to follow her husband in his religion. And here's a woman who's not. My husband's not saved, but I love Jesus. That could be a scary place to be in that empire. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Put your hope in God. Put your hope 
and God. Now, he mentions Sarah, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And I thought of one story where, where this played out. Now, I'm just going to read these verses and tell you what I see in here. Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah your wife shall have a son. Do you see the teamwork between Abraham and Sarah in those verses? It's not just Abraham sitting on a chair somewhere saying, Abraham, you, or Sarah, you do all the work. He's, you take care of the bread, I'll go get the meat. And together they, they cooperated in their teamwork. And because of that, they, they welcomed the Lord and His work into their lives because they worked together instead of fighting against each other. And it, it comes back to that initial point, whether you're a husband or a wife. It's that selflessness that says, I'm in this for the higher good. Even if it means putting my spouse ahead of myself at this moment to reach it. So that's the wives. Now I want to talk to the husbands. Bullets for husbands. Now I always found it interesting that there's only one verse here. And I had a theory along the way. I, I don't put a lot of credit in it, but I'm like, does Peter know this is how guys work? <laughs> Give it to me straight and let's get in, get out. I don't know. There's one verse here that we got to focus on. So let's get it. Still, three E's though. I see three E's in here for the men. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The first E I see that us men need to work on, to focus on, to grow on, is education. To become educated. To learn the wife that God has given us. There's a story about a son that said this. He said, Dad, I've heard in some parts of the world uh, a man doesn't know his wife until he marries her. And the father said, Son, that's true everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the beginning of the, the education, right? We got married in 1998, some, same year my Toyota Tacoma out there was made. I'm still learning, and many of you know that that's a journey. Gary Smalley, famous Christian psychiatrist, even he said this, after 30 years of studying women, I asked myself, what is it that they really want? After 30 years, he's still learning. 
And sometimes our attempts to, to learn and figure it out can be humorous. I, I enjoyed a story this week. Some kids found their dad out on the farm reading poetry and singing songs to the tractor. And the kids said, Dad, what, what in the world are you doing out there? And he said, Mom and I have grown distant, and I'm trying to learn some stuff. And the, the guy I talked to said, I need to do some things to a tractor. <laughs> he was trying. <laughs> he was trying. He's, he's trying to learn. <laughs> We're all on that, that journey, right? <laughs> Fireproof. Many of you remember the movie. That movie brought it out really well. You don't want to just get your, your bachelor's degree on your wife, guys. You want to go on to, to get your master's and your doctorate. And that's a, a lifetime pursuit. And the only thing I've found, the only way that we can do that is to make time together to talk. To talk and listen. It's not always easy for us guys to listen, especially when it goes beyond a minute. But that's where a lot of the learning happens. I'm talking to myself too, I know. We've got to become educated on our wives. The second one is we've got to show her esteem. Esteem. That's why he goes on to say, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, there's a lot of ink been spilled about what does weaker vessel mean. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean she is inferior emotionally or spiritually. Because later on, he's going to call her a co-heir of life with you. Okay? He's talking most likely about the fact that in general, most women are not as strong physically as men. Okay? And as men who realize that, we go out of our ways to meet them in that need, whether it's holding a door. I could go on and on. Chivalry should not be dead in the church. We should look around and, and see her as a weaker vessel, not less valuable. One, one man said it's, it's more like she's like fine china. You don't just throw fine china around the kitchen like you throw your, your uh, spatula for the grill. She's precious. Treat her that way. I'm going to share an example of what not to do because it struck me so boldly. This was actually just this morning. I was checking out the news headlines on Fox News. And I don't know if any of you guys saw this. This is how not to esteem the woman as the weaker vessel. The, here's the headline. Man walks out on cancer-stricken wife in hospital after learning she cannot have biological children. And I'm just going to read a little bit because to paraphrase it, you might not believe me. These are direct quotes from what he shared about what was going on. He said, my wife starts sobbing, but at first I stay still because I don't even know what to make of it. Now instead of becoming a real family, he says, I didn't even know if she would remain the woman I married. Whether the last picture of us together would be the last time I'd remember her looking beautiful. Young and carefree, he continued, because the wife I saw in front of me was already a different person. His wife said, we'll fight this and adopt children instead. He said, but I shook my head and turned to walk out the door, he confessed. I still had my suitcase in the car, so I drove to a hotel because I didn't know if my wife was going to end up being discharged or what. 
At the hotel, I was at least able to get out of reactive mode, but I was still so disappointed that her dream of a family was over. His mother-in-law called him at the hotel and said, just stay there. Somebody wrote in response to all this, this is not about you or your feelings. No one preempts cancer. No woman should be forced to have children earlier than she's ready to just fit into someone else's grandmaster plan. The fact that you don't see her as the person you married when she is more than just an incubator and a baby-making machine is deeply troubling. Someone else commented, sure you're allowed to mourn the loss of what could have been, but you don't get to abandon your wife during the worst moment of her life and cry victim. It was, and it went on to say it was unclear from the post whether the man has seen his wife since her diagnosis or if they're even still together. Now, man, most of us would hear that story and say, I would never, ever, ever even think about doing that. We're to honor our wives as the, the weaker vessel, but it does make me think are there other things that she needs that I have not been willing to listen? To, to figure out, to, to go to work for on her behalf because it's inconvenient or challenging for me as a husband. We need to esteem our wives, honor them as the weaker vessel. The, the Ephesians 5 picture, Paul says, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her, not just in the good times, not just in the easy times, especially in the hard times, we need to esteem her. And finally, to view her as an equal. That's why he says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We're in this together. This is not all about me. We're in this together. We are equals in Christ. Us guys can be good at making it all about us. I read about one guy... He said, my wife told me that I twist everything she says to my advantage. I take that as a compliment. <laughs> you see? <it's laughs> we do it easily. We do it easily. Now, God gives us a motivation to honor them and esteem them and treat them as equals and live in understanding with them. You know what He says to us men? So that your prayers may not be hindered. He's saying, men of God, men who follow Christ, if you don't listen to me on this and you don't honor your wife, you don't learn her, you don't treat her with honor as the weaker vessel, your prayer life will be hindered. It's almost as though if we're treating our wives that way and we go to pray, God's up there saying, "Uh uh-uh, buddy, you go back and make that right and then we'll talk. I love her as well. It's not just that God says, I'm not going to hear it. I I believe that wall wall goes up. But Linsky says this, "A, a husband who treats his wife in the wrong way will himself be unfit to pray, will scarcely pray at all. There will be no family altar, no life of prayer. His worship in the congregation will be affected. You know what he's saying? He's, not just, he's just saying it's not just God not hearing us. You probably won't even want to pray because you are not right with God at that point. And God will be the last thing on your mind while we're treating our wives like dirt. Before we close, I want to review our, our three A's for the ladies and our three A's for the men. Bullets for wives. Action. 
adornment and alignment with God for the ladies and men, education, esteem, and treat them as equals. Now, if you're like me, you say, what in the world is this passage about marriage doing in a book about standing firm in the face of persecution? Because home is where everything flows from, right? If you've got a solid base at home, you're much more likely to be able to stand up out there in, in your world, in your neighborhood, in your community. But if things are broken at home, it's going to be hard to stand up anywhere. I like what Richard DeHaan said. Here's the positive invitation. If, if we grab onto God's plan for the home, here's what we can aim for with His help. A, a peaceful haven from storms of life. A temple where God is worshipped. Have you ever thought of your home having that kind of potential? A school where great spiritual truths are learned and lived. And lastly, our homes can be a witness to the love of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I look at this passage and I don't believe there's a one of us in here, including myself, that, that can't carry something away to work on. We see the ways we fall short. Whether it's in a marriage like Peter's talking about or the way we treat other Christians in the church or friends. Lord, help us to take a moment here and just invite You. Speak to the husbands in the room. Show us places, ways we need to apologize. Ways we need to grow. Help us to recommit to to learn our wives and to esteem them when they go through the, the valleys and the hard times, not, not just in the good times, and to treat them as, as the equals that they are. To get rid of any, any part inside of us that, that lifts ourselves up above them. Maybe abuses passages like this to put them down. Lord, help, help men to lay that down. I pray for the women in the room, especially if there are any who we have an unsaved husband just like Peter talked about. Give them strength in their actions to reflect you consistently to those husbands. Help them to, to focus on that eternal adornment that is precious in your sight. And help them to, to be holy women who hope in God like Sarah, who align themselves with you. Oh Lord, help our homes and our churches to be places groups that the world looks at and says, man, I need what's going on there. They're not perfect and there are times they have to apologize and and forgive each other because they're still human. That much is for sure. But they love each other. And there's a selflessness there that, that comes from Christ. Let that reflect you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.